We have two readings this evening. Um, the first one is from Numbers, chapter 21, and reading verses 4 through to 9. That can be found on page 159. That's page 159. And then the second reading, which will follow straight on, is from John 3, verses 14 to 21. That's on page 1066. First reading on page 159, second reading on page 1066. So Numbers 21, starting at verse 4. They travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go round Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. And then turning to page 1066. John 3, starting at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, it's very good to be with you tonight. We are this evening looking at the second part of uh, two talks today on Old Testament uh, pictures of the cross uh, the two talks stand alone uh, quite happily, so you don't need to have been here this morning uh, to follow uh, this evening. But before we um, have a look 
uh, these passages. Let's pray together. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Heavenly Father, as we have a look tonight at the cross of Jesus, may we appreciate more deeply uh, what he did for us there. And uh, may we have our faith, our trust, our belief in him as our confidence before you. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Slides coming? Not at all? Well, let's start. On the very first day uh, of the uh, hospital stage of my medical training, uh, all of my year group were in the lecture theatre uh, for the first morning when the lecturer said, right, you're about to hit the wards, so let's do some practice. Uh, and uh, they brought in a patient uh, in a wheelchair uh, who was very sick. And we were to ask this guy questions to try and work out uh, his diagnosis. So we put up our hands and asked questions and things went along quite nicely until the lecturer got us down to the point where there were two possible diagnoses for what was wrong. And he said, it's time to make your mind up. And then suddenly the man in the wheelchair cried out in pain. And the lecturer looked at the man and then he looked at us more severely and said, it's time to make your mind up. There's a dying man here. If we don't do anything, his life's at risk. And we all sat there feeling absolutely petrified and stressed, this new world uh, that we're entering into. And then suddenly the doors of the side of the lecture theatre burst open and all these people ran in dressed in operating theatre clothes, about uh, sort of 12 of them. And they ran up to the man and then they got him to stand up and then they all started singing. <laughs> yes, it was all some big joke. It was actually... They started singing, It's Time to Make Your Mind Up by Bucks Fizz. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, very cheesy Eurovision Song Contest winner back in the 80s, I think. Uh, it was an advertisement for us to get involved in the hospital pantomime. <laughs> it was really stressful, I have to say. Now, uh, what relevance has this got to do <laughs> with the sermon? Well, I've not got long left at St Mary's, so I'm, I'm, perhaps I'm... Uh, speaking a bit more tenuously than normal. Um, but the need to decide in a serious situation where death could happen uh, is at the heart of our readings tonight. Uh, the ancient Israelites in the book of Numbers faced death from snake bites. The people Jesus addresses, including us, face perishing. We have to make a decision. Doing nothing uh, is fatal. It's time to make your mind up. But making a decision to follow Jesus can be a really hard one. Uh, and perhaps there's some here tonight who've not yet fully decided. And if that's the case, I wonder what holds you back. Now, have any slides appeared yet? Brilliant. Questions. Perhaps, perhaps you're at the stage where you've got intellectual questions, doubts and concerns. You're still exploring the claims of the Bible. Well, if that's the case, I do hope you keep on with that and don't give up until you're satisfied. Or maybe peer pressure. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 19, and the peer pressure against it was really strong. But in actual fact, 
The worst I experienced was mild mockery, and I soon discovered who my real friends were. But I suspect that the anti-Christian peer pressure is harder uh, today than it was uh, those years ago. Or maybe it's autonomy. Uh, Jesus teaches that if we're to be his disciples, we must give up everything. Uh, We must say no to ourselves and have him as Lord. But for many, that feels too much. They're just things we can't let go. We want to put our desires first, our desire for autonomy. And then finally, I put family. This one's a slightly different uh, thing, actually. Uh, And that is, I'm thinking of those of you here who've grown up in Christian families. And maybe you can never remember a time when you decided uh, to become a Christian, because you always have been. And I wonder if you worry sometimes, is my faith real? Have I ever really decided to follow Christ, or is it just my family's faith? Well, the question we're looking at tonight is, what does it look like to decide to be one of Jesus' people? What will you do uh, about Jesus? John's Gospel, which we had read from tonight, and it's actually where we're going to be mainly based, is written because he wants us to believe in Jesus and so have eternal life. And in our reading, I wonder if you noticed the big choice we face. This uh, table, hopefully will appear now, uh, sums up where the reading, uh, how the reading is divided and where we're going tonight. And the big choice is put in three ways. So on this uh, side here is our natural human state. uh, And on this side, what happens if we believe in Jesus? So in verses 14 to 16, the contrast is between perishing and having eternal life. In 17 to 18, it's condemnation by God or salvation. And then 19 to 21, being in darkness or being in the light. And the shock of this reading that shocked me as I read it and prepared was that we're all by nature in this column. That is our natural state. We're not neutral. Like back in that lecture theatre, if we decide to sit there and not make a decision, uh, well, actually, we've decided to allow this person to die. Or in our case, uh, we've decided to allow serious consequences to happen. Well, that's what John is going to teach us will happen uh, if we don't make a decision. So our aim tonight is to look at these three contrasts, uh, these three, three ways that John puts it. And as we go along, uh, I hope we'll see that the contrast really is big. And if you're here tonight and you've not yet decided about Christ, well, I hope that's really helpful to help make the decision. So let's have a look in more detail at each in turn. First, then, we face eternal perishing, but God offers eternal life. Verse 16 It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, to understand this verse fully, Jesus points us back to that strange event that we had read about in Numbers 21. The people of Israel have been rescued from Egypt by God, But before entering their promised land of Canaan, they face an extended stay in the wilderness because they they keep rebelling against God. And in Numbers 21, we we read of one such incident, one of many. They become impatient with God and Moses and begin to complain and moan, and they start to look back with rose-tinted spectacles on that terrible time of slavery in Egypt and think they were better off there. In other words, they start to despise God's rescue. And so God judged them, by sending venomous snakes among them who bit many of them 
and some of them died. And this brings the people to their senses. They confess that they've sinned against the Lord uh, and they ask Moses to pray for them. And Moses says, the Lord says to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So here should be a picture of the, what we might think the bronze snake uh, looked like. If you look at that bronze snake, you won't die from the snake bite. You will live. Now exactly why this method of salvation is chosen is not made clear. But when Jesus teaches on this, he says that this incident is a little picture of what he will do on the cross for us. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The Bible teaches that our human condition is actually rather like the Israelites. We are rebels against God. We grumble, we complain, we despise him. We've all sinned uh, against our loving God. And like Israel, we deserve death. In fact, it's worse than that. Jesus, uh, John, or Jesus, uses the term perish. But the Bible explains elsewhere that this perishing is not merely a physical death. There is a judgment following death. So Hebrews 9, 27, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The judgment is eternal. Uh, It's an eternal perishing. So it's a very, very severe uh, situation. But there is hope of a rescue from what we deserve. The Son of Man was lifted up on the cross on something that looked a bit like the pole. This picture nicely Uh, puts it for us and everyone who looks to him as he died there for us uh, as he took the punishment for us and believes in him will not perish eternally but have eternal life God is totally pure and just and is right to punish all evil and yet he is so loving that at the same time that he is angry with the human race he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the first uh, contrast here. We face eternal death, but if we believe in Christ, we may receive eternal life. Eternal death. It's worse than we think, isn't it? It's eternal existence cut off from God and all his goodness. But eternal life is better than we can dream. John will later describe the joy of a living relationship with God that goes on forever. Well, that's the first way the choice uh, is put for us. Perishing uh, or eternal life. But then second, we face condemnation, but God offers salvation. If the first way it's described is, is in terms of sort of living or dying, This time, it's about how the judge views us. So um, let me read from verse 17. So hopefully a judge's hammer will appear. A gavel, whatever you call it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Well, verse 17 is just a wonderful statement, isn't it, about God's intention of sending Jesus amongst us. He wasn't made a man to live amongst us to bring condemnation. 
His purpose was to come and save people out of condemnation. We already face it. And yet here is a mission of love to save uh, a condemned race. Verse 18 shows us if we believe in Jesus, wonderfully, we are not condemned. We won't face judgment. Rather, we'll be saved. And if we recognise how bad the judgment is, a condemnation, as we've seen, that results in eternal death, then to be saved from this is the most wonderful thing, uh, isn't it? But if we don't believe in Jesus, then we stand condemned already. The future verdict of the judge has already been announced. We are under condemnation as a human race, unless we turn to Christ. So as I was saying earlier, we're not neutral. The verdict is hanging over the human race, like a sword of Damocles, hanging over us by a thread. It's a very dangerous situation to be in. It's like the Israelites have been bitten by the snakes. Death is coming. Judgment is certain to fall. Which means we cannot view human beings as neutral when it comes to God. If we sit undecided about God, Jesus is saying we're not neutral. We sit under a sword of condemnation unless we turn and believe in him. The church warden of the new church that I'm about to move to uh, in uh, September uh, forwarded me a letter this week uh, for the vicarage we are moving into from the TV licensing authority. And um, there's no license uh, for the vicarage at the moment, and it hasn't been for a while. And the address, uh, it says, according to the letter, has been passed on to the local enforcement division. Uh, it's presumed that illegal television watching is going on. Uh, if you like, the, tele- the house is condemned, if you like, under condemnation. So when I move in, I've got to act. If we do nothing, they will be visiting us. So we need to get in touch and transfer our licence to the new location or declare we don't like to watch live TV. If I don't do anything, I'm condemned already. Got to act. Well, as with this first contrast that we saw, condemnation is worse than we tend to think, but salvation is so much better than we tend to think. So... We've got a decision to make. It's time for making your mind up. Is it possible that there are some here today who actually you could say, yes, it is time for making my mind up. If we start to take on board what Jesus is saying, the reasons we might have for procrastinating in our decision, uh, well, they don't seem that strong, do they? Just think of peer pressure. It's hard, isn't it? I'm not going to underestimate how hard it is for us. But eternal death, Hell is far, far worse. Far, far worse. In the light of hell, peer pressure is a very foolish reason not to come to Jesus. Or losing autonomy. I fully admit this is a very hard thing to do. Letting go, submitting to God, uh, is the hardest thing to do in many ways. The word autonomy comes from autonomos, which means self-law. I make up the rules. But haven't we seen here that God is the real judge when it comes to legal matters? Facing his condemnation is far worse than me surrendering my autonomy. Well, what about the final way this decision that we've got is put? Here it is. We prefer darkness, but true life is in the light. 
The contrast here is a little bit different from the others. Let me just read it out. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen, seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This time we get a picture of what it will be like to live out these two different options. First, there is darkness. And here I think we get some explanation as to why there are so many people who are not believing in Christ and some more evidence of why we deserve condemnation. Light has come into the world. That's referring to Jesus, the light of the world, the one who is pure goodness. He came into the world, he came to his people, and by and large, they rejected him. They hated the light. Why? Well, it says, men love darkness because their deeds were evil. They will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. We're a bit like uh, wood lice, uh, is what John is saying. You know when you pick up a big stone in the garden and you see all those creepy crawlies? Uh, loads of them. Well, within a few seconds, they've all scampered away back into the darkness. John is saying we are by nature people of darkness. Or think of, um, think of the school disco. Some of us, that's a little while ago. People enjoy it when it's dark. You do all kinds of things uh, when it's dark. But wasn't it horrible when the teacher turned on the lights at the end of the evening uh, and suddenly you felt ashamed of all the things you might have been trying to get up to? Or think of a, another common problem uh, today of internet misuse. Online, with its seeming anonymity, people can make all sorts of rude comments, uh, chat with dubious people, look at dubious images. All kinds of things are done online that people would never dream of doing in broad daylight or never dream of doing, say, in the middle of the Apple store in Festival Place. You see, the human problem is just like this. We naturally love deeds of darkness and we don't want to be exposed. And when the light comes... Our natural inclination is to hide away from him. It's such a simple thing on one level to believe in Jesus, and yet it's so hard because it means letting his light shine into our hearts, letting everything be exposed before him, confessing all the depths of our sin, and then committing to this life in his light. Just look at the way... The disciple is described in verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I don't think John here is describing the process of becoming a Christian. Rather, I think he's describing what it looks like living as one. You live in the light consciously before God's presence. And that leads to a totally new lifestyle. It means turning from the deeds of darkness and seeking to do everything through God with his strength. I think this actually helps a little bit with the person I imagined at the beginning uh, from the Christian family who's worried about whether they've made the decision or not. Because the decision may have been made when you were too young to even notice it. The question is, are you now living in the light in the way that it's described here in verse 21? If so, then you have crossed from death. To life. And this new life 
is so much better than we often think. We prefer darkness, but true life is in the light. When I became a, a Christian, uh, one of my friends from home uh, said, Nick, you've become boring. He meant by that that I stopped getting drunk with him uh, and singing rude Monty Python songs in the pub. From his perspective, why on earth would you want to stop doing that? That's such fun. But Jesus here is promising a whole new kind of life that is just on another dimension. When we come into his light, uh, it's actually the, the true life that God has made us for. And so I think my friend was totally wrong. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 19 years, uh, and I can say for sure that it is a thousand times better, even with all the troubles that come with that, uh, than the first 19 years uh, when I was without Christ. If you've any doubt, Jesus promises life. That really is life. It begins now in part uh, in relationship with him, and it goes on into heaven for all eternity. C.S. Lewis described this process for him as being surprised by joy, sheer inexpressible uh, joy of knowing him. That's the life that we may have. So let's sum it up then. We face eternal perishing, but God offers eternal life. We face condemnation, but God offers salvation. We prefer darkness, but true life is in the light. So we've all got this choice to make. It's time to make our minds up, remain in our natural state, or believe in Jesus and cross over to eternal life, salvation and light. It is the hardest thing in the world to do, to admit you are completely wrong to submit to Jesus and to ask his forgiveness. We need God help, God's help to do it. It wouldn't have been easy for those grumbling Israelites to admit uh, they were wrong. It took quite a, a thing to happen to them, didn't it, for them to do it. And earlier in chapter 3 of John's Gospel, Jesus says we need to be born again by the Holy Spirit. A miracle is needed uh, if we are to come and believe in him. It's the hardest thing. And yet in another way, from another perspective, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. All the Israelites needed to do was look at the bronze snake and they would live. All we need to do is look to Jesus and believe in him. And God's Holy Spirit can take Jesus' words here, the warnings and the comforts, and bring us to the point where we will say yes, where we will look to him and believe in him. Well, let's pray, shall we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We thank you so much, Father, for this glorious truth. And I pray, we pray for all of us here, that we may believe in Jesus and have eternal life, salvation, and a life that really is life in your light. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.